0: So, tonight, my wife and I, congruently or collectively together as one, wait, where's my dictionary? (laughs) We wanted to be able to get up and really share the testimonies within our life that demonstrate the very principle of why we're asking to sign up for the Testimonies and Talents. Because a lot of times what you see here now is what is not what existed a long time ago, <laughs> exactly. So the 150-year-old the oak tree that's in front of a plantation or wherever else you may have seen one did not start out that way. It started out from a very small seed that was planted in the ground. So if I ask you ladies, if you have some words to characterize the function and some of the and, and, uh, characteristics of who Cassidy is, what would it be? Go ahead and tell me something. Teacher. A very good dancer, you said?
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: great rhythm. Great rhythm, okay. All right, so teacher. where are some other ones? A teacher. A teacher. Uh, one or two more. She cooks really good. And what was the one you said, Joy? She's an encourager. Guys can answer too, yes. Hospitable. Hospitable. She Joyful servant. And I
2: don't uh-huh. like this. Now
0: he's got one A good singer. A good singer. <laughs> Amen.
2: <not>
0: <laughs> Amen. So the the whole point of this is that what you see now at work in Cassidy was there in C form whenever she was first born again. And maybe in early parts of her life, examples were put in front of her of how to be hospitable how to be great with rhythm, or how to cook good. <laughs> Somebody sewed so season to her life that made her who she is today. But these things were not as clearly evident years and years ago.
2: Eric says amen. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. Okay, so, <laughs> those of y'all that knew me, y'all were like, mm-hmm, my Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's do this for Matt. What would y'all use? What kind of words would y'all use to describe Matthew? Right.
1: Sexy. <laughs> um, body. Body, encourager.
2: Encourager. Teacher. 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 Worshipper. Dad. Worshipper.
1: Leader.
2: Gentle. Loyal. Loyal, yes. So, like, if I was going to describe him, one of the main things I would say is my husband, like, one of the things that defines him to me is, is the worshiper aspect. And I think he's always been a worshiper since he came into Jesus, but he's, he wasn't a worship leader the day he got born again that was that was a small seed and it showed up in the way in his attitudes and uh, the way he carried himself in the beginning years with the Lord
0: yeah it really was uh, if going through this once again, who I was in 1992 actually February 17th 1992 I was born again in my bedroom uh, at that point, I was uh, soil that God had been breaking up for years. And what I mean by breaking up is, at the age of five, what uh, remember that? At the age of five, uh, my my home was no longer consisting of a mother and father under the same roof. But for uh, for reasons during that time, uh, me and my mom went to go live in an apartment, and my, my dad stayed in his home. And my whole world began to become unraveled but the glory part of it is that Jesus began with that defining element to begin to break up the soil of my life so that when the seed of the gospel the good news of who Jesus was it would have good soil to take plant and take root into moving forward at a pretty fast pace uh, I came to that point in my life praise God at the age of 16 where I realized that my life was chaotic, and that no matter how much control I exerted in my own life, things were still chaos and full of death. Everything I touched was ruined. And no matter what I did, there was this enormous void, this black hole that would consume every bit of life that I tried to shove into it, and it never left me satisfied. So for instance, you know, Eric and I did this uh, together. We went head, head first in the football. Football was our God. We worked out. You know, we didn't date. We didn't go do what some of the guys, the guys did, uh, go drinking or whatever else, because our God was football. That's what would give us identity, purpose, and validity in our own eyes, but also in the eyes of others. And let me tell you something. On a Friday night, after you have put in the effort over the course of months of sweating and bleeding to Be ready for that one moment when you turn the tide in a game and you hear the crowds roar. It's a rush. I'm not saying that the things of the world are completely void or hollow, but they never, never, never satisfy. So whenever that God faded, it went from one to another to another to the point where I said, I am sick of this. I don't know what else there is. And what the seeds were that my mom planted in me years before at the age of nine by bringing me to church and letting me sleep under the pews or play with my G.I. Joes, I still heard the word of God. And those seeds begin to take root. And next thing you know, that precise moment when the the sun, the rain, uh, and the right more, uh, content of soil mixture hit the seed, that four spiritual laws trapped in my hand, in my own bedroom, faith sprouted. So February 17, 1992, I was born again radically in my bedroom. I remember getting up and looking into the mirror and seeing I'm not the same person. I'll pull out photos even to today looking back at the past of who I was. I was dark and devoid of any life the day before. And the day after, it's unrecognizable who I was. And But still from that point, from February 18th moving forward, God continually added to me life and life and life. The same thing happened for gas. Not on that day, but somewhere close.
2: No, I was a little more stubborn. Matt is no. uh <laughs> Matt has a better testimony. well better, I guess. Um, cleaner. Cleaner testimony than <laughs> a little a little muddier than his, but um it took me a little bit longer. The Lord started preparing my heart. I remember at, at five years old, um, Talking with God, I didn't—I didn't know anything. We didn't go to church, but my grandparents were Catholic, so I heard peripheral things about Jesus, about the Lord, and I just had a childlike faith. And I would talk to God all the time. I just thought, well, I can talk to Him, and I would. And um, my mom's friend—I remember my mom saying, "Oh, Shelly's pregnant again," and it was—I just remember this as a five-year-old kid hearing, "Oh gosh, how'd she get pregnant?" What? what and my mom saying it was an accident. And I remember praying to God, Lord, I'm only five years old. I hope that doesn't happen to me. <laughs> that kind of that kind of level of faith at five years old, just really sincere and pure. And I, I just believed whatever they told me about God, I believed it. I believed he was real. Um, and then when I was 11 years old and had an experience with a spirit-filled church and... A lady grabbed me and said you're gonna go to hell if you're not born again the word says you have to be born again you have to say this prayer and i'm like okay i'll do it what, what do i have to say i said it and i'm like okay i'm good so i went home and i told my mom mom turn to john 3:16. we have to say this prayer because i don't want you to go to hell and she laughed at me you know, she thought it was I was 11 years old and like whatever but I was serious so I took it and I was serious about it I think the Lord saw that all along in me that there was some some dirt he could work with um, but then I went through a long period where I turned my back on Jesus and I did what I wanted to do um, and the the soil of my heart grew hard again and those seeds that were planted kind of I guess shriveled up and went dormant you know however that works in botany all that technical stuff you know, when a seed doesn't get water, doesn't get the sunlight, doesn't have good nutrients, it just lies dormant until the right conditions are there. And I, I don't know why the Lord had so much mercy on me. I really don't, because he appealed to me so many times when I looked through that period of, well, from 11 to when I actually got born again at 21. Jesus was appealing to me over and over and over, and my answer to him was, not now. I mean, I really, I told the Lord, not now, not now, not yet. I'm not ready, I'm not ready. Um, And for him to still extend it is bizarre to me. I certainly didn't deserve it. But when at 21, I found myself in a pit of my own making and really just kind of felt like uh, hopeless, completely hopeless. Um, I remember saying to my boyfriend at the time, I think I'm going to die soon. I mean, I'm just, I'm so miserable. I just, I think I'm going to die. I really do. I just, I just want to die and I feel like I'm dying. And that was like on a Monday or Tuesday. And that Friday night, I went to um, a church Christmas party in Louisiana, the church that my mom was attending. And she said, "Please come, please come." And so me and the guy said, "Yeah, we'll go for a little while, and then we'll go out and go party. We'll stop in, you know, just to make an appearance." And we got there, and the Spirit just drew us, and drew me, you know. And we didn't leave; we were the last ones to leave. And I got born again that night. And the next day, I remember riding in the car going, Oh my God, I did die. I'm a new person. I am a woman of God. And to say those things, it felt so clean to say I'm a woman of God. Because I would, I mean, ladies, y'all know how hard we are on ourselves, and you would never say anything nice about yourself. You know that even if you believe it, you probably would degrade yourself a little bit in that whatever area, you know. But to say I am a woman of God and know that it was true, it felt so good. It felt so clean and so free. And the realization hit me: I knew I was going to die, and I did. She's she's dead. She's gone. I'm leaving her in the past. You I know, mean, such a beautiful experience. And um, I mean, it changed my life in an instant. I was delivered from drug addictions. I was delivered from a lot of things. And over the The next few years continue to be deliberate of depression, um, emotional addictions, and all those trust issues and those kind of things. But it required the soil of my heart to be at the right stage for that to work. Because when God's word was poured upon me, and I actually received it, I mean, how many times, y'all know, we've had a drought this summer. And when it rained, what happened? All that water just kind of puddled up on top. It didn't break through. It didn't soften the ground. It just kind of puddled up and ran off. But over periods, now that we've had a little bit of rain, now it's kind of starting to break through and sink in. That's how I feel like my heart was. It was hard, and it wasn't going to receive anything. But at that right time, Jesus had allowed me to get myself into circumstances so desperate that that ground started to get broken up, and his water, his word could come in, and the light of his presence could shine on me and warm up that soil, and that seed began to to take root. Spring forth.
0: You guys look at us now, and if you try to picture in your mind uh, me before I was born again or Cass before she was born again, it's hard. It's hard because we're not even a a glimpse of who we were at that point in time. Now, in more of a, a marital situation, when you look at me and Cass or you look at Erica and Jen or any other married couple that's in this room, it's hard to envision that person apart from the other because truly the two have become one. So I was born again in 1992. Cass was born again in December 15, 1996, right? That's when the Christmas party was. So for four years, four very, very long years. Because <laughs> you know when you're born again, your life is just perfect, and you deserve and are entitled to everything that God has ever promised you, right? Right, right
1: away.
0: Right away. Okay. To the point whenever you're praying on a Saturday morning, and you're vacuuming, praying that God send you a wife, and knocks on a door is a beautiful young lady that looks like she's in church clothes. Your heart drops to the ground and says, Lord, you sent her to my door on a Saturday morning. And then she says she's from the Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses. (laughs) Mm, I slammed the door in her face. (laughs) But over this course of time, what God was doing in my heart was building perseverance. Saints, I really want you to ask your question as as we go through the, the portions of our life. Even though what God has promised you is great, are you willing to wait for it? And how bad do you want it? If I tell my children, I have a $100 for you, it is yours, it has your name on it, but I want you to wait until you're 21 years old to get it, they're going to do one or two things. They're going to hang in there and endure and cherish and treasure that one day For the next 11 years in Natalie's case. Or they're going to give up. So why is it that whenever the promise was made to Abraham, you are going to have a son from your own flesh? Why did he have to wait so long? And then, to go beyond that, once the son was born, and the promise was finally fulfilled, and he had his son in his hands, 17 years later, says, okay, now bring him up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. And at that point, whenever Abraham reconciled or reckoned that his son was dead in his heart, when he had the knife up and was coming down with it, knowing that, and and 100% committed to killing the very dream and promise that God had given him, it was then so collectively, over 37 years, 37 years he waited. And it was then God said, Now I know. Now I know your heart. So many times you hear within the Christian world, but also in the worldly sense, God knows my heart. We said that from this pulpit a lot. But really, does he? And what will it take for you to know your heart? Four years seems like absolutely nothing. But when it's every day, all day, being reminded that you do not have what God has promised you, it seems like an eternity. You know, we've been married for 13 years. May 23rd, 1998. 13 years has raced by what felt like one month of the four years that I was single. And look, everywhere I went, I was looking around the corner. Willingly or not, I was wondering, where is she? Where is she? Is she here? Is she there? Because there was a side of me that was incomplete. And when Cassidy Pontiff, Autumn Pontiff actually at that, that time, responded to that call, immediately God began to stir and form something. Now, before we ever began to date... But after she was born again, she did have a boyfriend. In fact, she was engaged. And I remember seeing her at that Christmas party she got born again at. I had to leave early because I had to go to work the next day. I remember seeing, wow, that's a new couple. They're kind of cute, but they're lost. Huh. Never passed my mind. Next uh, week or next Wednesday or Sunday, I see they're coming. He's still kind of a deadbeat, but she is alive. And she's a totally new creation. I was like, wow. You know, she's really born again. But nothing ever crossed my mind that she was going to be my wife. She was already taken. In fact, I think a month or so after that, to get things right in her life, they got engaged. She had went and bought a wedding dress already. So I thought she was pretty. Actually rather hot. (laughs) But I knew that she was already committed to somebody else. So I didn't even let it enter my heart that I was to pursue her. But then came the news. One night... Uh, during a, uh, a prayer meeting at somebody's house, somebody came to her and said, "Look, I can't get this off of my mind. You're you're committed to another man. You're engaged. I just want you to know the Lord's showing me that you are designed for fivefold ministry. You are designed to be a pastor's wife. Now imagine your own walk nearly one month after somebody telling you that you are valued enough in this regard." For God to use you in a powerful way. And it's not just powerful ministry. It could be an accountant. It could be whatever. But God has a dynamic task for you to go and do. Immediately, I know her first thought was, are you sure? Are, are you sure you got the right person with this? So she went that night and she asked her boyfriend. She said, do you ever see yourself ever being in ministry or a pastor?
2: And what did he say? Well, first I asked him. I said... I'm in love with Jesus. I need to know: Are you in love with Jesus? Are you in love with Jesus? And he was like, "I mean, I love him, but I'm not. I'm not in love with him, you know. Like as if that would be gay to be in love with Jesus. <laughs> I'm not in love with him." And right then, my heart sunk because I knew the Lord was calling me. That's it. You got to leave him. And I just, oh God, I can't, I can't do this, Lord. And um, I went in my room and I wept and I. I just laid my heart bare before the Lord because it, my heart had been broken so many times before and anyone in here experienced broken heart, it's not doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good at all. And um because of my own doing I'd allowed my heart to be broken many, 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 many times. And at this point I I was like I can't I, Lord, I will do this for you. I will lay him I'll lay him down for you, Lord. Um I'll do it, but this has gotta be the last time. I you know I don't the next one has to be the one because I can't do this again. I can't go through this again, and uh you know my heart was wrenched and broken before the Lord, but I was willing to do it because I knew Jesus i mean there was no question Jesus was more valuable than than any man and um so I went to him he was we were living we were actually living with my mom at the time, and he was in a separate room and I was in a separate room, and I went to his room and I knocked on the door, said, "Need, to talk to you, and he's mad at me from before. And I said, um, I mean, this was probably, this was in February, February, and we were getting married in April, so two months before our our wedding, right, Two two or three months. And wedding dress already bought, venue already purchased, you know, all those things already laid out. And I went and I knelt down beside his bed and I said, I've got to end this, I can't be with you anymore. And he was furious, he was furious at my pastor. For telling me this. I can't believe he's turned you against me, and how dare he? I said, you don't love Jesus the way I do, and you're holding me back, and I can't do this. And, um, and we broke up. And I thought, okay, it's going to be me and Jesus. It's going to be me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus. I'm ready for this. You know, I'm, I was tired of being mishandled by men. I was tired of it. And I knew Jesus wouldn't, so I was okay with that. It's just going to be me and you, Lord. That's great. And I think the very next church service, um, if y'all can imagine, I was very talkative back then. Know, big shock, huh? And I stood up. <laughs> it was right after whatever, and um, I raised my hand. I'm like, I have a testimony, I have a testimony. Uh, Jason and I broke up, and that's okay because I love the Lord and all this. And uh, I think right now. My ears broke like, up. Mm. You,
0: you what? You broke
2: up? It's over. The wedding's called off. If you bought any gifts, return them. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Well, it. Uh without having some of the structure that you single guys have now, or those of you who are engaged and getting ready to be married, uh, we just kind of discovered a lot of this on our own, and, uh, but also with the help of some very close loved ones, like uh, Eric and Jen. And it was about a month and a half after we started call or talking to each other. In fact, the, her pickup line for me...
2: It was not a pickup line. It was a Imagine. pickup line for her.
0: It was a pickup line. Her pickup line was not what's your sign. She said, "What are you? You have a nice smile. What are you? As in, what ethnic race are you?"
2: That's an honest question, right?
0: I'm sorry, I, I couldn't answer that. I don't even know myself. I just, you know, I think the only place I don't fit in is Finland.
2: I got that. So
0: it, it began in a very comedic fashion, but we began to talk. And you have all the normal stuff of butterflies and puppy love and all that kind of stuff but what seriously began to happen was uh, she was very brand new in the Lord and it made it difficult because she was trying to find her identity in Jesus and literally was just <laughs> getting in the pool of that water whereas I you know now almost five years into it uh, I have found out at least uh, a very strong direction of what I'm designed to do where I'm going in the Lord uh, so what began to happen, we began to talk, and she would talk to me for one week, then would answer my calls for the next. Then she would see me sing a song, like a special song during service, and she would become enchanted again, and then call and there, answer my calls for one week, and then not another. And that went on for about three months. It got to the point when I knew that if I walked in the door after work, and I saw that little light flashing on the old school you know, answer machines, it's one, one, or you know, two, oh, wow, that's a busy day. I would see that light flashing. My heart would jump out of my chest and excitement would also fall because I'm like, oh, man, we got to go through this again. And finally, it got down to the point where I said, Jesus, I need to hear your voice because all I hear right now are my emotions. All I hear right now are my anxiety to fulfill in my own strength what God, what you had promised me when I first got born again. And what he had promised me was there, is that I would be in five-fold ministry, that I would be a worship leader. Now, this is when I only knew three chords, and when someone spoke that over to me, or right right before someone prophesied that to me, I found a guitar under my dad's bed, and it was nothing but Jesus. I saw that guitar, and a fire was lit inside of me. I could not put down my guitar. All I wanted to do was use it to worship. So over that course of five years, God was developing me. Was shaping me, giving me my identity and purpose. But I knew I was still incomplete in that purpose without a bride. And so now that she's show, showing some interest in me and I'm showing interest in her, we're really at that crossroads of do we go beyond friends? How do we date? Everything that, that we have set before you, singles, over the course of what, eight, ten weeks, was mine in part from our own experiences of getting it wrong. Of letting our hearts become so entangled in this emotional roller coaster, without having the stability of God's word to govern it. So what began to happen is I had some great encouragement of, look, you don't need to play games here. You are at the age, you know, at the age of 22, where either you get married or you don't. You don't test drive in order to get married. Either the Lord has called you to be with this person or that person to be with you or not. So make up your mind. And what it was, I was I was meandering on the line of fear of loss. Because you guys know, we've been through some of the dating elements, that if you say, I love you a little bit too quick in the relationship, that may scare them off. But not saying it uh, or saying it too late in a relationship will make them feel like they're not valued and you really don't love them. So the whole time you're just, you know, playing this. Emotional kung fu
2: Yeah, but the easy thing with Christians though Is because we all say that, love you mm-hmm. If you it's don't exact, say the yeah, I right. love you If you don't say the I in front of it Then it's just a brother-sister thing <laughs> Love you, brother Okay, does that count? Does not really, because she you just called me her brother Am <laughs> I really her
0: brother? She, like we're siblings? That's kind of gross Because <laughs> I want to kiss you and marry you <laughs> Maybe not <laughs> yeah. So we Huh? So we went back and forth, but it got to a certain point where we said, "Okay, uh, I'm gonna put my heart all the way out there on the line, and I'm gonna write a letter." And I prayed over this letter. I think I rewrote it three times, but I said, "This is who I am. This is what my calling the Lord is, and this is how I think you fit in." And around that time, we went for I think a church outing to Port Hudson, a <laughs> Civil War monument, and Judah
2: was like two months old, pretty much.
0: No. Don't be mistaken, we have taken Photoshop and tried to brighten my skin tone as much as possible. Uh, I I think I would give Larissa a run for her money on her skin tone.
2: He was working in
0: the field. I I was working in the field in July, and I was out in the sun every day for 12 hours a day around concrete and steel. So uh, I was a bronze Adonis, at least in skin tone, not in form. But at this point, I'm 22 and Cass is 23. Oh, no, 20. I'm 22. Okay. <laughs> but you are older. Okay, anyway. Uh, so we go to this church function, and there's a sincere spark and attraction between us, and something that was God born. But the problem was this is something for you singles to pay attention to is that it was so wrapped up into other unmanaged emotions, it clouded our ability to hear clearly of what God's will really was so this is where the body really steps in, in our American pursuit of freedom, challenges and disrupts where we should have sat back, went before the pastoral staff and said, hey, this is what we have stirred around us we put this before you, what's your judgment about this? what what do you guys feel? And we will submit to it and go with it because we've entrusted the fact that you understand God's word better than we do. And we're having a really hard time hearing from the Lord. And we need your help. If you look at us and say, you know what? Y'all really don't have a fit to be with each other right now because of circumstance A, B, and C. Y'all just need to be friends and never be alone. Never be alone together. That, That would have been wisdom all the way around. If someone would have said, you know what? I really do see that y'all are called together. Why don't y'all go through these courses or at least let let me disciple you for the next six weeks so you can understand what you're getting yourself into but also press you a little bit to make sure you understand what you're getting into. But I do see that y'all do need to be married and married now. Then let's go. But it was kind of ambiguous. And once again, you want to know why we do the things that we do now. It's because 14 years ago, We were trying to figure it out ourselves, and we weren't successful in that time period. I really don't want this to be a glorification of everything that we get right. I just want it to be a glimpse of who we are and us learning from the things that we got wrong so long ago that hurt and crippled us at some point. But nevertheless, God put us together. It was one year later, so December 16th, I think is what it was, we had a Christmas party at the same location where Cass got born again the year prior. I sang a song, as usual, just participating in the same thing we're talking about, our talents and testimonies. And I just so happened to curtail this song and write it 30 minutes prior to doing this and incorporating the lyrics that would build into the last one, Will You Marry Me? And I i, I, the, well, I did the Rahab one. I told her that the ring wasn't ready, because we were talking about marriage at that point. Picked yeah, picked out rings and everything. But I told her the ring wasn't ready, and it probably wouldn't be in for another couple of weeks. But I actually had it in my pocket. So that night, at the very end, I sang, uh, "Will you marry me?" And she just broke down, and it was a very emotional moment, as you see. That's and, my mom. Yeah, the, the woman that's just <laughs> enthralled with the ring and what's happening. That's her mom. So this
2: is the one. This is the one who's like six months prior. Um, I was still living in her house, and Matt came over after work, and he's in his work clothes, kind of like a shirt, like Cody's wearing, you know, work jeans, work boots, all that. And my two baby sisters, but at the time, were like four and seven, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. They were in their little kiddie pool in the backyard, you know, like a little three-foot pool. I mean, a foot and a half or whatever. And Matt comes over to visit me, and he sees the girls in the pool. And he takes off his boots and jumps in with his work clothes yeah. <laughs> to play with my sisters. And my mom looks at me, and she goes, you, got to, you know you got to marry Matt Piro. And I said, I am not marrying Matt Piro. I don't know what you're thinking. I'm not
0: marrying. <laughs> I wasn't going to be told. Marry. Let, let me share with you a little bit also about who we were, who these people were. Uh, the guy to the left was extremely timid, would only share his opinion or thoughts about the word if you pressed and asked him to speak, but was very comfortable being the, the shadow in the very rear of the room. And that was extremely uh, deficient in self-confidence and self-esteem. That when it came to speaking a sentence in front of a crowd, couldn't get past the first two words without stumbling doing just that, stammering or stuttering. But it never had that full confidence of what God had called him to just yet. The lady on the right was full of life, but also full of sharp edges. She said things that were right, but at the detriment of piercing everyone around her. She was full of, of uh, sassiness, but also uh, but also, she had characteristics about her that were uh, beautiful. The uh, thing I loved about her is that in the, in, during Wednesday night and even Sunday teachings, she was bold enough to raise her hands to look stupid at the questions that she would ask. And... You know, at that point in time, uh, in the church we were in, it was encouraged to ask questions, but most people didn't because they were fearful of just looking vulnerable and not knowing a subject. She wasn't. She was hungry for the Word, and she devoured it. And that's what I admired. And prior to going through with the engagement process, I was playing the drum, and I remember seeing her, and we were, you know, courting or dating at that time. And the thoughts are going through in my mind. Lord, is this really the one... I need to hear because I can't on my own. I need to know that this is the wife that you're giving me. I need something to trust. And at that point in time, whether it be just an image, a picture, an overwhelming feeling like we do when we get a prophecy. I remember seeing her hands raised and literally the woman that I see now, that's mature, those edges are shaved off. And she is gentle and high and hospitable I saw in that moment while I was worshipping on the drum I saw a silver ring on her hand and she was beautiful she was radiant and it was so strong and such an embedded in person or, or promise about who she would become that for the years that would happen after that whenever the moment in our marriage seemed dark or grim and that wasn't there in front of me. I had something to, hope on, to hold on to and hope for. I knew there was an end goal that Jesus was going to pursue and end up with. And that image, that God's word, enabled me not to give up on the promise. that he had spoken to me.
2: My pastor had given me a prophecy not long after I was born again. I think we had just started dating. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I guess I was ignorant enough to, to take it as a um, as a good thing, but... <laughs> At the time, he said, he said, you are a wild colt bucking back and forth. And I thought, oh, no, I don't like horses. Somebody give me a prophecy. I'll take it, whatever it is. Uh, he said, you're a wild colt, but the Lord says, I will tame you. I will saddle you, and you will become a beautiful stallion. There's hope for me, Lord, thank you. Because, I mean, it, Matt was nice about describing my character back then. I was very, very abrasive. I mean, y'all, y'all see that. Y'all see when I get irritated with my kids, or, or maybe you. I might get irritated with you and be a little abrasive. Um, I was really, really abrasive. It was really hard for people to be around me. Jennifer took the brunt of it a lot because um, Matt and Eric hung out a lot. So me and Jen were kind of forced together, and she just kind of had to endure a lot of my... Um, The stupid things that would come out of my mouth, you know, I just wasn't tamed. And um, to have the Lord say that to me, that I'm going to teach, another prophecy he gave me is that he was going to hand teach me. And I just clung to that. I just thought that was so beautiful because the Lord loved me enough to take me by the hand and instruct me. Don't worry, I'm not going to leave you where you are. I see who you are, but I love you anyway, and I'm going to bring you to a better place. And to look back, and I'm certainly not at the end of my walk, um, there's still a lot of taming. He's, he's still got his spurs he's kicking me. But spurs. 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 Yeah, spurs. But to look back and go, yes, man, I oh, was that wild kick and just rejecting authority. No, you're not going to tell me. You're not going to tell me who I'm going to marry. You're not going to tell me how to worship. You're not going to tell me what meeting I have to go to. I'm going to do what I want to do.
0: I say so, I mean, honestly. He used to
2: make me, force me to go to the ladies' meetings. She hated the ladies' meetings. It boring. I to go. He's like, you are going. I'm, you're not going to tell me. But anyway, very Luckily. yes, very so. But anyway, the Lord bring bringing me out of all of that. It's it should be encouraging to you guys because to come from such a deficit to now to just a normal status, like I can have a normal conversation, and not offend everybody that I talk to. I would hope uh, that's that's a that's a testimony. That's <laughs> praise to Jesus for that.
0: At this point, everybody open your Bibles to Romans 12 because honestly, this is the the centerpiece of how this process unfolds. So if we equated our hearts at the point of being born again with soil, God breaking it with events in our life that made us humble and ready to receive the promises that he would give, the seed, and then cultivating it, watering it, putting it in the sun so that at least it would begin to sprout and have something to hope for, a promise, a small glimpse of what would fully come about, it's wrapped up right here in Romans 12. So let's we'll start in the first verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, his unmerited favor, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual or reasonable act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. From the moment that me, or Cassidy and I were born again, we began that process of throwing away what we had conformed to for so long. And we're looking to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And you guys are able to talk back to me what is it that we use to renew our mind with and we transform by? Word. The Word. So if you begin to get in that point where the Lord is not asking you to conform, meaning to just mimic an image that is the status quo out there, but to become something totally new, to break out of the mold that you have always been or that has always surrounded you and become something no one has ever seen before, a true new creation, and you yield to it and let God's word be your standard, it's then and only then that you're able to stand back and test and approve of what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Because honestly, you can say from the day you were born again, isn't that what you're seeking? What is God's will? What is God's will for my life? Why am I alive today? Is it just for the hope that I will retire at the age of 67, maybe later, maybe 69? Is it just the hope that I can vacation and have all my kids out of my house? Or for those of you who may be single, just so I can get to that one point where I finally have everything I want in a mate that's next to me. Because honestly, that's the true pursuit of every American, but almost every single human being is I want to get to that place where life is no longer hard and I have everything I want around me. But the process of being transformed by God's word is saying, no, relinquish every desire, every dream, every hope that you've ever had and trust it before the Lord and let him give you what you need in the moment in the hope that he will fulfill the promises made to you better than you will. Amen. I say all the time, if I was responsible and in total control of planning my life and giving me what I need, I would have sold myself short. What Cassidy and I have been able to participate in is a rep- rep- repetitive or repetitious process of being promised something and having to wait, but more than just wait, be opposed events in our life opposing and resisting that promise from coming true, and being squeezed to the point where we have we feel like we have no further hope in what god has promised there's no glimpse that it will ever come about and getting to that point where lord this is only you that's going to provide and watching him come through Because at this point, when I'm giving her this ring, and then five months later, we are married on May 23rd, 1998, you would think, all right, all of our problems are solved, right? There's nothing else left to accomplish. We're married. We're happy. Let's grow old, have a house, retire, and die the exact same moment like the couple did on Titanic and be buried together. (laughs) They did. they, they, They clung to each other and the water drowned them. I ain't worried about that.
1: Anyway.
0: Okay. that so, I'm talking about the I'm whole sorry. couple down in the dirt, class. That was the Irish people. Anyway. <laughs> I'm trying now. I'm
1: trying to be a good wife. This is a, a good
0: example of walking any together.
1: A in a cog together.
0: It's up here and it goes down here. So, okay, we were made it. At, uh, on, on May 23rd. Awesome wedding. This is another You'll wonderful picture.
1: Oh, this is our best man mate.
0: and maid of honor. That was his idea. That was his idea. <laughs> Thanks for that, man. In- anytime, <laughs> brother. <laughs> yes, indeed. I mean, look. we
2: look like we're like 13. I don't know. Matt looks like 13, that baby face.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's 13 years ago, right there. Yeah,
2: no, that's crazy.
0: Peter right are
2: And that's after a couple boxes of brownies and a year of marriage <laughs> we went to Disney World.
0: <laughs> well... That kind, of, that kind of brings us to our next point, right? So, we're, she's born again for, when um, we get married, about a year and a half. I'm born again for about five and a half years. And, you know, life is picking up. We're married. In fact, let me go back to this.
1: No, I'm sorry.
0: How about this one? Is that better? There we go. Hurry up. So we leave our wedding and the next day we take off to New Orleans to catch a plane. Uh, no, this is really cool. Hold on. We're good. So anyway, we take off to Mexico. But this was a crash course into understanding what God has truly promised you. I thought that once the ring was on my finger, on her finger I would finally have that thing I'd waited five years for, and that all my struggles would just end, and there would be nothing left to struggle for. We would, uh, you know, combine our finances, our spiritual efforts, and would live on cloud nine with Jesus, and we would see Him every day face to face. Right. We're in Mexico, our first day of our honeymoon in an international place. We realize that we don't have enough money to make it to the next day, and are uh, too ashamed to call our parents and ask for more money, and are standing there in the hotel room the first day of being married, and nothing but fighting and arguing right then and there. and crashing and burning on our first day of marriage. Ended up coming back home and it, it all worked out great. Uh, we finally got rid of the ball, flushed the of nature of both of us, and got on track with Jesus. But my, my point is, is that we go from faith to faith, a point of trusting Jesus to the next thing of trusting Jesus, not because it's an endless game that makes him laugh. It's because it's a continual progression, progression into becoming fully who God has called you to be. And if you stop at that one point, you sell yourself short, you sell God short, and you sell everybody else around you that needs you short. How much would it benefit your lives, if Cassidy and I or Eric and Jen stopped at the point of being born again and said, you know what, we just kind of like it right here. We want to attend church, be fed, and not really have much required of us for the rest of our lives because we're just all about what makes us happy. What would your life look, at, look like today if Eric and Jen, Stevens, or me and Cass decided to do that 13 or 14 years ago? we would be selling the kingdom of God short. The whole center purpose of of displaying this tonight is that I want to inspire you guys. Don't sell yourself short. Don't stop because it's easy there. And I can almost promise you, when you begin to become comfortable, you better watch out. God hates anything that rivals him. And if your pursuit of comfort becomes an idol, he will become jealous and he will make it fall on its face time after time again, even when you pick it back up again. So on to the next faith. We go to Disney World. Oh, come back? Okay, go ahead. Rock on, baby. Um,
2: when we got married uh, at the ceremony, one of the vows was, and when God chooses to open Caspi's womb and give you a child, you promise to be a godly father. And all, I laughed. It's like, I ain't having babies. I don't know what he's thinking. I ain't having babies. I'm too crazy to have babies. And um, it was about three months, four months later, it's like, oh, my God, I'm pregnant. I didn't think that could happen to me. <laughs> that did not happen to me. It's like, I happened. not so we were pregnant, and it was like, okay, now we're pregnant. Um, okay, we're going to be excited about it. We're going to do this. This is great. We, we started buying baby name books. We started, um, I think I probably registered the first two weeks. I don't know, calling Jen, what do I need? What do I need you to do? You three different
1: places.
2: Too. Yeah, we are all excited about this baby, and I had a job, and we just decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and quit that job because I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. And I came home, and we went for an ultrasound, and we saw the baby's heartbeat, and we were all excited. And the doctor said, "We well, want you to come back next week and um, and do another ultrasound. The blood works a little iffy. We just want to check it." And we went back the next week, and there was no heartbeat. And I was trying to figure this out on the screen because you know, any of you mamas know when you see that little flutter. I mean, you know, it's a heartbeat. And then you go and you see the little bean, and nothing's moving, and there's no heartbeat. I just kept asking the ultrasound tech, "Why isn't it?" You can't see it this week, or why, why? Matt, why can't we see the heartbeat? And she just, well, oh God, I'll be right back. And she went and got the doctor, and the doctor came in, and um, and all he said was, "I'm sorry, sorry." And I just was like, "Wait, what are you telling me? I don't understand this. This doesn't happen to Christians. I mean, I'm I belong to Jesus now. This doesn't. My baby doesn't die. What are you talking about?" And I just bawled on the table. I just just thought, now that I'm in Jesus, everything's fixed, right? all that junk that happened before, that doesn't happen. My heart doesn't get broken again. This doesn't happen. I was really confused. um, And I was devastated. I mean, I was just devastated. And Matt just held me, and we both cried, and we went home, and um, they wanted me to have the surgery where they take care of it for you, and I didn't want to do it. Well, we were going to do it, and we went to sign the paperwork, and at the bottom of the paperwork, it said, May cause future infertility. And I just stopped. And it's like the Lord was saying no. And I said, I, I can't do this. We're going to have to go home. But the thought of having to um, pass the baby on my own was horrifying and scary. And I didn't want to do that, but I wasn't willing to jeopardize uh, future pregnancy. So we went home and we waited. And you, you go home and you wait. And you just, you wait. You know the baby's dead and you wait. And um and the baby passed, and it was amazing that God's peace covered me, and um, it was like, I was totally okay, it wasn't this scary freak out, God was there for me, even despite the tragedy, he was there, he was so real, and he didn't abandon me, you know, I thought he had left me, the baby was dead, but God didn't leave me, he was was with me, and um, he began to heal us. And um, not long after that, well, at that point, you know, once that happened, the fire was in me. I want a baby. I want a baby. What? How soon can we try? I want a baby. Okay, if we try, if we can try in February, okay, that means I might have a baby by um, it's November, it's October. You know, I was already planning it out, and I'm serious about it. And I'm getting fertility books, and I'm getting this book, and I'm charting everything, and just got really obsessed with it it was like this thing and we were at
0: a where we were back again is in that almost hourly thought process and pursuit of something God had promised us that same drive and reminder of what we didn't have similar to what I experienced (coughs) when I was single and so you're thinking you know now this is a little bit more in our control so we're going to begin to pursue. We're going to begin to, to do with, with you know whatever needs to be done to, to have a child of our own. But one thing that the miscarriage did is that it totally threw off uh, all the chemical elements within Cass's body. And so the normal cycles that women would go through, sometimes she would go two and three months and not have one. Ten months. Ten months without having one. And that was a, a monthly reminder of, something opposing us and what God had promised us and telling us no, no, no. And I mean, it's one thing if you're just able to run away from what reminds you of something you don't have or what God has promised you. It's another on a monthly, sometimes weekly basis to be reminded of what you don't have. And not just reminded, uh, resisted to the point of discouragement. Taunting you is probably the best
2: And then to go, and then to go to church and, and friends and people that you love are pregnant and you want to be happy for them and it's so hard it's so hard. Um, Where's David Hall here? Where's David? Uh, right about that time, Jennifer was pregnant with Michael. She got pregnant about a month I think after me, and I was I was very immature as a Christian and I was very upset with Jennifer for being pregnant. I was I mean I was real, I avoided her I didn't want to I didn't want to talk to her because it upset me so much. And, um, it just, it just bothered me, and I knew it was wrong, and I'd try, and when she had the baby, I went, you know, to bring her a meal, or, and go visit her, and see the baby, but I just couldn't be around her that much, because it was so devastating, It was like, this is what, this is what, you know, i I'd never had a baby before, and so it was like, okay, the physical representation of what I had lost, and, um, years later, I think it was when we moved here, the Lord began to deal with me, you know, He never, he never repented for that, and, um. I went to Jennifer, I wrote her a letter, and and I said, I'm sorry for treating you so bad. This had nothing to do with you. This was me and my pain, and I put it on you, and I'm sorry. you know." But those things come out of us, and it's ugly. It's so ugly when we're going through something, we take it out on somebody else. And that's not, I mean, it was was the enemy. It was not Jennifer. It was not David. It was not any of those things.
0: You know, we struggle with those thoughts of, you know, Lord, is it something that we did? Is it some sin that we did that's causing Mm -hmm. us to not be able to bear fruit. We read in the Word and we see that, hey, God closed up wombs of women within a city that was wicked. Yeah. Uh, so we're evaluating our lives. We're going through and saying, is there something we need to repent for? Is there something we're not doing right? I mean, even go down to the point of what, what prayer do we need to say? Treating it like an incantation to move God's will in our life. And it had nothing more to do than just a process of struggling, the process of waiting for that promise and standing firmly in what God had already spoken to us, that we would have children. Go um, ahead.
2: In my Bible, somebody encouraged me early on to write down prophecies in my Bible, and I did. So I encourage y'all to do that because it's so its It's awesome when you go back and you read it. And um, on September 4th, 1999, I had lost the baby in December of 98. So this is about nine months later. This was at Eric and Jen's house, they were having a home meeting. And Eric had prophesied to me, and then Gary Williams prophesied to me, prophesied to us. Matt and Cassidy, you will struggle. Those that are righteous will fight against the enemy. Like Hannah, Cassidy, you will struggle against the enemy because you will raise your children up in righteousness. But you will bear fruit in the name of Jesus. You will bear fruit, but you will struggle. But in these times, I will hold you in my arms and comfort you. You will bear fruit. And he said, Don't let the devil tell you that nothing will good good will come from you because Jesus said a child Jesus says a child will come from your body. And when he spoke that to me, I was like, Oh, thank you, Jesus. And um this was a Saturday night. I mean I was so encouraged. I went home and I wrote it down. And the next day, um, this was Labor Day weekend, the next Sunday I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor Buzz, listen to what Gary prophesied to me. This is so awesome. And he goes no, I don't, I don't see this, you'll struggle, I don't see this. I, he said, if you're not pregnant right now, you will be soon. And I thought, well, well I'm confused. I mean, Gary said I would struggle, but what do you, what do you mean? And he said, no, I'm, you've got life all over you, baby. I just see it all over you. You are full of life, I, I, you're, you're pregnant. And I thought, oh my gosh. And we went home and the next day was Labor Day and I woke up and um, I was bleeding. And I said, okay, this doesn't make any sense, go get a pregnancy test. So Matt went to the store and got a pregnancy test, and I was pregnant, but I was miscarrying. And I never would have known if Gary wouldn't have prophesied to me, because I never would have thought, I would have just thought it was a normal cycle. But because of the, the way those events all played together, I knew that I was losing another baby, and it was like, it was confusing. Lord, why, why, I'd rather be ignorant, why, no. But I felt that shadow of death come on me again, and I was like, I cannot believe this is happening again. And then after that, God closed up my womb. And it was, that was in 99. And so we went through two years of um, every month. You know, we could have bought stock in pregnancy tests.
0: I hated it. I hated it. Every, Every time I go to the grocery store, she would, well, she would call my beeper. And then I would call her back. And I I would, and she would say, can you pick up a pregnancy test? And I'd just sit there and, uh, no, I'm not picking up one. But I would think in that moment, I don't want to be filled with unbelief of what God has given us. So I would pick one up. I would usually buy the Equate package, (laughs) the store brand. And what would happen, I'd come home and she'd she'd, take the test and come up negative. She said, oh, that's just a cheap one. Go get the real guy.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, some so for two years this went on and on and look there there was no magic pill there was nothing that happened we we were about to really get invested in the fertility items and uh, she went and talk to her doctor and the doctor said you can try these various things but here's a, a chlamydia and you can try that it's the first you know intra-level her fertility and Cass was at that point in time discovering that she had PCOS polycystic ovarian syndrome so hardening of shell around the ovaries that your body would go through the cycles but the egg would never get past those ovaries, those shells around the ovaries and in, uh, to the uterus so we, we, we came to a point where we said we will try this but I was dead set on I don't want me <coughs> to be my savior I don't want my dependency to be on the, the hands of man, the workings of men. And so we went to, to dinner that night, and it just, I don't know, say the Lord has breathed life into us in a way that never had before. I looked at her, and she looked at me, and I said, God promised us this, right? She said, yeah. I said, the devil is taking this from us. Because what, what we were talking about, she said, maybe God is punishing me for all those years I was lost and in sin all those horrible things I've done. I said, no, no, the blood of Jesus is better than that. It covers it. That makes the blood of Jesus less, and it's something we need to add to it. That's not true. That's the lie. So I looked at her and I said, no, this is something that's being stolen from us, and just like somebody would come and steal some of our house, we need to stand up right now and tell the devil to back off, that this is mine.
2: On February 19th, um, 2001, I was was praying, I wrote this in my Bible, while praying about whether or not to take the fertility medicine, I told God, but I wanted it to be a better testimony than that. I wanted it to be your testimony, and he spoke to me. You can't even imagine what I'm going to do.
0: So at that point, we prayed, we took our stance, and all I can say is that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. He spoke something to us, rise up and fight for what I've promised you. And we did. And she took took that for one month in this month of February, 2001. And later on that month, we found out we were pregnant for now. And it was mixed. I mean, it was, we're sitting there, okay, she's six weeks into it, she's eight weeks into it, and we're waiting for that hammer to drop. We're waiting for all the signs of miscarriage. And there's some certain things that she had to do and progesterone to take in order to keep her levels up in the first trimester. But I can say, saints, we fought for it. We fought through prayer. We fought through the years of miscarriage. And when you look through the word time and time again, the righteous never have it easy. Those that walk in the glory of God and what he has promised them have to fight what has been promised them. But the true test is what do you fight? you think it'd be you know, any better to go you know, beat up something or beat up somebody and take out my frustration on them because of something spiritually that's happened in our lives? We don't have what we want when we want it. But the weapons that we have are not carnal. They're spiritual. And what God breathed inside of us was stand up and fight, but fight this in a spiritual battle. Let your request be known to the heavens and push. Push. Don't be pushed. So we push, and once again, we're in that state of having what was promised us, the pregnancy. But the war's not over. We had to fight through each, tri- each trimester to get there.
2: Right? So that's us at our baby shower for Natalie. We're kind of happy about it. <laughs> I was amazed at how little the diapers were. <laughs> I'm going to go through these kind of quick. Because I just want y'all to see the testimony of what God did. I was called to be a mother. I was called to be a mother. And God said, you cannot even imagine what I'm going to do. One year after having Natalie, we thought we'd start trying for another, knowing that we'd probably have to take fertility. Yeah. Okay, I'm pregnant with Sydney right there. Natalie's like one in a couple months. There's Sydney. (laughs) And then we... Moved to Texas, and I'm pregnant with Chloe right there. (laughs) Matt's like, okay, you're like a weed eater. I couldn't get started. Now you need to stop. (laughs) (laughs) So we had little babies. I'm very big and pregnant there. There's Natalie and Sydney. That's Christmas. And there's our... That's in the trenches
0: right there. See those eyes? Those are crazy (laughs) eyes. That's like, I want my wife back. You are
2: crazy.
0: (laughs) This is a good point. What we longed for, what we fought for, what we thought we were not valued enough by God to have, now is coming out of our nostrils. (laughs) <laughs> but, but, if, y'all, but go, go
2: ahead. if y'all have ever been in our house The room, right when you walk in our house We have the, those double those French doors We didn't have those at one time And that was just open and that was our playroom And that's where I lived I lived on the floor of the playroom With a pile of diapers next to me A pile of wipes and snacks And that's where I lived for like 3 or 4 years And all I did was that you well, know?
0: I, I was going to say We go from faith to faith and struggle to struggle what we struggled with for so long while we were uh, uh, just a couple and, and infertile, I mean, we made every single Bible study. We made every service. We made, you know, room in every way to, to get as connected with, with Jesus as we could. And we didn't really understand the freedom that we had. Now the pendulum swung. And I was very much involved in ministry, uh, with Life Change Ministries, but Cass was very much involved with the ground And diapers. Interiors. Interiors. And so the the struggle then became, how do we stay connected as a couple? How does she still feel attached to me and part of my call, even though we're feeling like we're running the opposite directions? And I would hear on a routine basis. If only I could just sit in one service the whole time through and be a participate and be part of the word and feel a part and on and on and on. But yet, her still having to hold on to the promise that this is what God has called her to. And the more that she gave in to those feelings of being left out and, oh, the struggle, rather than, oh, the joy. Oh, the glory. Look what God has surrounded you with and entrusted you with. He's he's put your husband in ministry, exactly what he promised would happen to you before you even married to him. He surrounded you with children. So that you longed for and fought for for so many years, the very things you desired, what God promised you, you're now murmuring about.
2: This is the root building years. This is when you don't see really the fruit on the tree. This is that stage where the the seeds sprouted and it's come up, but there's, there's really nothing and you're just kind of growing your roots and nobody sees the efforts. Nobody sees how many diapers you change, how much vomit you clean up. Nobody sees any of that, you know.
0: Actually, catching your hands. Yeah, I
2: did yeah. that too. <laughs> but this, in, in Matt's walk too, also to become a worship leader. I mean, there were years when people didn't believe in him. Told him he didn't have what it what it took to be in ministry. Didn't have what it took to what it took to be a worship leader. And I mean, then nothing's further from the truth. But there are years where you have to form that stability. Um, I look at Eric's life, and y'all just look at like he was talking about um, a couple services ago, all that's happened this year, if Eric didn't have the roots that he has in the Word, if he didn't have his foundation strong, one of those trials would have blown him over. Just one of them. But to stand and to continue to serve Jesus despite all of those things, that shows a depth. And that may be the stage that you're at right now where you're going, why am I waiting? What, it, what is taking so long? You are growing your roots. This is that time where you, you can't get to the, the stage where you give up because you don't know what's beginning to bud, what's coming up. Well, while
0: we continue on, I, I turn to Second <laughs> Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 6 through 11. Is everybody there? there. Yeah. Yeah. Mario, read that loud and clear for me.
1: So we urge Titus we had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, and knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you get that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your meaning. That is a great
0: point. Uh, I'm glad you said it. I'm sorry. Chapter 9, verse 6 through 11. <laughs> the word is also living and active and sharper than double-edged sword. All right, so uh, go ahead. 6 through 11 in chapter 9. Remember
1: this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also
0: all right, pause right there real quick. We'll pick back up. In eva- you guys are evaluating the Stephen's life. I think you can unanimously say his main contribution to every single one of us is to demonstrate a tenacity to accomplish God's will for your life. Amen. Despite what your circumstance, your emotions, or your perception, or anybody else's perception is about the matter, there's a clarity of God's purpose for your life, and with his foot on your behind, You with every bit of force to get there. Because as time goes by, you got to realize what you reap, what you sow. It's not just a matter of being in Christianity and then expecting everything to be butterflies and unicorns. That it's going to be this lovely stroll through the park and everybody is on the same level of receiving the gift of eternal life. There are things about your life that only you can do. And if you sow into it with little effort, you're not going to produce much fruit. Yes, you may end up in the kingdom of God, dwelling with the king of kings forever, but you will have very little to show for it. But when you have the kind of tenacity that takes the, the default of, I will do whatever the king asks of me. I will put the kingdom of God and God's will first and then entrust him to give whatever I deserve back to me rather than saying, no, this is what belongs to me and this is what belongs to you, Jesus. We're going the opposite direction from that and saying everything belongs to you. I will put your will first and I will entrust you to give me back what I need to live. Because that's really what making him Lord looks like. Do I go to this home meeting because I haven't seen my family the past four nights. They're talking about how they want to watch a movie and spend time with dad and have this form of connectedness. And I'm feeling torn between the two. But I know that I'm drawn and my function and purpose is to propel others into his presence. But really where I'm caught is do I propel them into his presence or do I propel this Bible study into his presence? What do I do? My default is to do Romans 12. I submit my body to the living God. as a submit my body as a living sacrifice. And I say, I'm not going to conform to my emotions. I'm not going to conform to what this world tells me I need to do. But I'm going to be transformed by renewing my mind in the Word and saying, Lord, what do you want from me? And I can tell you most times it is not what my emotions tell me. And the majority of the time, and cats can say amen to this, I will step forward and go to that Bible study and do what I'm called to do there, trusting that he is going to give me what I need here. I would rather do what my function is first. And granted, my function is to be a husband, and it is to be a dad. But first and foremost, they are attached to me to help me do what I'm called to do. I'm not a part of the family to be the helper in making them feel happy. They are here to aid my call. So what that looks like is eventually, my daughters are coming with me to be with me in those Bible studies. Our sons are going with us, being pulled out of the school system so that Judith can sit by his father's side and on a daily basis understand why his father does what he does. Why his father thinks the way that he does, and imitate and glean every bit of the identity that he was made from. The best thing about our choice for homeschool, and what I've seen in the Stevens household as well, is that public school worked for a time, but it ceased to work when God said, Now do it differently. That was the mile marker. God said, to us he showed us your daughter's hearts are drifting away from you you need to recapture them bring them to your side evaluate their character and build them into the women of god that they are designed to be because if anybody on in this church is more prone to be the worst kids in the planet it's for those of us who are in ministry and are constantly pouring out there but having them close by cassidy's side a constant evaluation of their character but also pouring into them the godly nature that they need is at least the foundation to begin to build on. <coughs> Don't end
2: up typical BKs. Yes? That's what hard tricks look like.
0: That was before Emmy. That was before
2: Matt Atkins died. <laughs> the mullet. Rocking a mullet. This is when Matt begins to Working in ministry, that was his first wedding ceremony. It's my dad and my stepmom. Day in life with kids. So we still love each other. So you know that? <laughs> like that, game? You're going to love this one, Gabe. That's <laughs> David, <Gabe> and Natalie. <laughs> And that's Abby and Chloe. See, amazing. our families are intertwined. It's
0: amazing what happens within five years.
2: Yeah. yeah. I love this. This is our Christmas card one year. <laughs>
0: and that was every single day. Yeah.
2: It's not always easy. You pray for children, then you're like, oh my God. <laughs> oh. I nice.
1: like his glasses.
2: There's Emile. You see, I mean, you go from a woman that cannot have children, that is losing babies, and we even lost a baby in between Chloe and Emmy, and that was like bizarre because I thought all that stuff was behind us. And to, to ha- it happened on a Labor Day weekend, we actually invited everybody over for a crab boil at our house, and I was pregnant and started bleeding at the at the at the crab boil, and it was like, surely not another Labor Day. This is devil, you're not stealing from us. And we all prayed and we believed. And I went into the bathroom and I'm telling you, I felt it like a blanket wrap around me. I felt death wrap around me and it couldn't touch me, but I felt it. I felt my baby leave. And it was just like, I just don't understand why this happens. But Emmygel gel came as a result of that. So that's a blessing. This is just yes. <laughs> this David. That's when we were building the man cave. Just our lives, this is just glimpses into our lives and the people that we've become now, our fellowship here. I mean, we came here and we had Eric and Jen and we had David and Jen and Mandy and that was our lives and, and people were added to us. Yeah, that was Nick. That was at a baptism at Stephen Darnell's house. And that was at a, one of our New Year's Eve bonfires.
0: And back to square one. But overall is, uh, like in John 15, it talks about he is the vine, and we are the branches. And his purpose and design for us in the Father is to bear much fruit. Much fruit. Sowing sparingly, you'll only reap sparingly. So really what we wanted tonight to be is an insight into the history of our lives and what Jesus has made us into and will continue to make us into. But the way that we got here was surrounding ourselves by people who intensely love Jesus, who are willing to stick their foot in our behinds and say, You are called to more than this and push us to the point where we enjoy bearing much fruit in every regard. Amen.